Captain. Raging review. The Raging Cajuns will be a source of pride for this university, for the alumni, fans, and donors as we achieve success in the classroom, in the competitive arena, and in the community. It's about to get really fun. We're looking for dudes that will stand up. Well, Coach, let me tell you today, I'm here and I'm ready to stand up. And I challenge you, Raging Cajun Nation, to stand up with us. Stand up with us. Let's lock hand in hand. And let's walk through the gates of Omaha. Hey, I love y'all boys. Let's grind every day starting today. Let's do it. Y'all ready? Alarm! Alarm! Ready! Who's that team ready? Who's that team ready? That's up! I got one thing to say right here. Can you win? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Raging Review podcast. Nick, Jerry, Josh. Every week, back in the saddle with you. Cage has been doing a lot of winning lately. 15 in a row. This past week wasn't as pretty as it's been, but overcame nevertheless so boys this first road game this week uh, and we'll get into the preview as we as we move along through the episode but uh, first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about the Sunbelt Conference and uh, the top 25 damage that they did over the weekend particularly Marshall and App State and also Georgia Southern went to Nebraska blue blood in college football and won and I know we kind of touched on it in in previous episodes but you know, the AP Top 25 came out on Sunday, which is after we recorded. And I think Saturday we all expected to see some Sunbelt flavor in the Top 25. Um, especially when you consider that Florida, an unranked team, an unranked team that really had tons of to, uh, question marks, they went from unranked to uh, number 12 in the country after beating number 7 at home. App State went on the road to Texas A&M, the number 6 team nationally, according to the AP, an SEC darling. And won, and they they handled them. I, I think that the time of possession was almost forty two minutes in the in the favor of App State. So they didn't they didn't get lucky on a call, and they didn't just you know it, it wasn't a, a fluke. They beat A and M, and they did it on national TV. And we all watched it. Marshall went to the big house and basically dominated for about thirty five minutes of that game. Now I don't know uh, specifics as far as time of possession, yardage, whatever. All I know is that that de- the defense for Marshall made Notre Dame's offense look high schoolish. Uh, it wasn't particularly close. Uh, a late touchdown made that look a little bit better than it actually was, but Marshall dominated the football game. Again, on NBC, broadcast television for all to see. Fully expected them to be in the top 25. They were not. We've, we've long said that the AP top 25 is a farce of a system. The way that the playoff is structured now, it's, it's, a, it's a popularity contest. Now more than ever, with talks of college football playoff expansion, and even now to the point where... There's some people talking about maybe the FBS is going to be split. You know, you're talking 20 to 30 teams going on and being like a semi-pro league. Uh, and then the rest of the FBS kind of fending for themselves and staying part of the NCAA. With all those conversations swirling around, how much did it punch you right in the gut to wait all Sunday and then early Sunday afternoon, no Sunbelt Conference teams in the top 25? Jerry, well, let's go with you to start. Well, with, with App State... It was interesting because I wasn't surprised that they weren't in the top 25 because they had lost the week before to North Carolina. I was more surprised by Marshall because I understand, look, Marshall played Norfolk State the first week. They dominated them as expected. 
But you go to Notre Dame, you, you go to South Bend, and you dominate that game against the number eight team in the country, a team that went toe-to-toe with Ohio State till about the fourth quarter the week before. And again, you you basically you beat them pretty handily. I mean, the, the game itself was more lopsided than what the score indicated. So I expected Marshall, even though right now they're at 26, they have the most votes outside of the top 25, I thought they should have gotten the respect to jump into the top 25 when you go to Notre Dame and win like that. Again, App State, I, look, I think they're very close as well. They're only a few spots behind uh, Marshall in the top 25 or behind the top 25, but um, I'm more surprised by Marshall. I think they definitely deserved it. Uh, and of course, App State being, you know, right in the outside looking in. So, you know, I, I'm surprised, but I'm not. You know, uh, the P5 is always going to get preferable treatment. I mean, Texas loses to Alabama by one point, and I get Alabama's the number one team in the country, but Texas doesn't even move. They stayed in the same spot as they were the week before. Now, do I think that's fair? Nah, it's subjective. But if that's a if that's a G five school doing that, I'm pretty sure they would have dropped. So I think there is a little bit of bias there, and I think it. You know, look, it's only the second week, but when you have a team that goes on the road against the top ten opponent, and you did win your first game, regardless of if it's an FCS school or not, you're sitting at two and zero. In my opinion, I think you deserve to at least jump into the top twenty five, even if it's at number twenty two or twenty three. Marshall, if anybody. Marshall deserves to be in right now. Nick, before you make your point, I just want to point out that Texas A&M lost at home to a G5 team, and they remain ranked. A 2-0 Marshall who dominated the opponent in week one, then went to South Bend and beat the number eight team in the country, can't crack the top 25. I think that that's pretty good evidence that there's a blatant double standard. Yeah, I don't know how we even cracked the top 25 when we beat Iowa state a couple of years ago, uh, because, because that was, uh, you, you know, you, you look at history and say, okay, we beat Iowa state. We get ranked. I mean, it's just in that. I mean, look at like, like you mentioned, Jerry, Florida, they, they beat Utah. All of a sudden they're ranked like number six or something stupid. Um, they get beat this week. They're still in the top 25, Texas A&M still ranked. So it's, I mean, am I surprised? No, I, I, I uh, sarcastically on, on Saturday night posted, well, I guess since Florida got ranked, you know, in the top 10, we should, Marshall should be ranked in the top 10. App State should be ranked in the top 10 because going by that logic from the week before, this is what's supposed to happen. But of course you look at the fact that all of these, these voters are of big schools. I'm not going to say P5 cause that's going away. Um, so these big schools, uh, it's their writers, it's their voters and they got to protect whatever conference they're in. So, of course, they're going to give votes to other schools in their conference because when they meet, now it's a top 25 matchup. And guess what? If one beats the other, oh, well, they'll drop a couple spots. But but it was a top 25 matchup. So, as you said, Josh, it's all a fraud. It's all, it's all set up to benefit the bigger schools. So, am I shocked? No. Am I disappointed? Of course I am because they both deserve to be in the top 25. It's a kick in the nuts because of this. You go and have an all-time G5 weekend. And you can't even get one of the teams in the top 25. You have the nation's longest winning streak in the league. You have two top 10s fall to G5 schools for the first time in history. And and now look, App State got game day out of it. 
So that's a decent little consolation prize. And from everything I can see on social media, they're absolutely tearing it down. So good for them. They deserve it. But the other thing they deserve is some, some attention and some respect from these damn writers who, by the way, have held certain sports hostage for far too long. The system's bad. Not only is the system bad, but how can you even vote for a team that has to practice yelling? <laughs> but that's oh another topic that we're not going to get into. <laughs> Jerry, how awesome was it that they took that video down? Own up to it, man. Own up to it. Look, you, you, you know, AM, they like to talk about tradition. They love to force tradition. Oh, we got all these traditions. We got midnight yell. We got this. We got that. We do a cheer for every down. We do a cheer for every quarter. We sway to the fight song. And finally, they, they get one of their traditions, unfortunately for them, gets exposed because the guy, one of their yell leaders, like, kind of gives this really blatant tr- attempted trash talk, if you want to call it that, to App State, only to realize that the very next day, App State made him meet his words. So now everybody's posting it as a way of, I guess, as a backfire. And, then, and now AM's taking it down. No, 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 no. Own up to it, man. Own up to it. Own up to it. It makes you look worse when you take it down. Own up to it. <laughs> All of us that grew up in the internet age, right, or the age of social media, know the blocking or the deleting is 10 times worse. Man, just just take it the admits, beating. It admits guilt. Yes. It admits guilt. And you and look, look petty. If if there's a reason for it, like, look, because, I mean, he did say some things that were, I would say, pretty inappropriate. I mean, it's it's kind of on the borderline. That's understandable. But if you're just taking it down because you're embarrassed that it backfired on game day when App State came in and spanked you, just take your loss and own up to it. Just take your own up to it. I'm sure look, I know the app fans aren't aren't upset about it. They're 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 the ones posting it everywhere. I still don't understand why you have to practice to yell. That's my whole thing. Why you gotta practice to yell at a at a football game, but that's not neither here nor there. I don't want to get you know, off topic too much. And, and real quickly, real quickly, so do they have do y'all know if they have midnight yell for road games too, or is it just home games? I saw some clips after this all came out. Then oh, it was like a, it was like floodgates open. You saw some stupid stuff come out, but yeah, it looked like they were on a river walk somewhere, not in uh, in uh, a college station. So it must have been an away game. And yeah, they were. So, they were out so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump the gun on you guys. Uh, this is the 26. This is the 26th anniversary of the Texas A&M beating a Cajun Field, September 14th, 1996. <clears throat> is there a way somebody? If there was a midnight yell, I want to see what the midnight yell was and what what those yell leaders were saying the night before that that matchup against the Cajuns. Oh, if there's somebody out there that can get that, oh, that would be golden somebody, content. Does somebody have a like a VHS or some camcorder video? I was of just the saying, midnight yell. They had those old camcorders you had to put on your shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> or the stand Look, that's a challenge anybody listening if you can find if you have a friend who who's an aggie or an a&m friend or an alum if you can find the video for the midnight yell the night before that game against the uh against a&m or the cajuns versus a&m on september 14th uh let us know we'd love to see it but be careful don't post it publicly just send it to us privately because we don't want you guys to get fined or suspended <laughs> but that's neither here nor <laughs> Speaking of attendance and uh, and uh, and you know traditions and things like that, we, we're gonna take it back to Louisiana for a while, and uh, we're a school that's scrapping and trying to to establish some tradition of some kind. That's the goal, right? Uh, this past week, there have been lots of 
complaints crop up, but I think one that really kind of grew legs and took on a life of its own is this whole apparel debacle. You know, people can't find polos to wear the games. They can't find good t-shirts. They can't find, you know, clothing without Lafayette on it. And uh, it, like I said, we've fought this battle for 25 years. And in, in one fell swoop and one off season, we've gone back to Lafayette in the bookstore. I, I can't understand it. But what's happened is, is kind of an interesting thing. And kind of wanted to talk about it with you guys. Uh, we've had so many different people that have access to print machines and uh, uh, you know, the wherewithal to go ahead and, and start up kind of a pseudo clothing company. There's There are folks that are trying to get licensed. There are folks that have a license that just haven't used it. Seems like a lot of grassroots uh, support for the regular common Cajun fan that just wants a good t-shirt to wear to the game or a good polo to wear to the game. Have you guys had similar comments and messages sent to you privately about how this apparel debacle has really touched the nerve of Cajun Nation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've seen it on social media. I've had friends ask me, hey, have you found any place to get some good Cajun apparel? Because I go to the bookstore, I don't see anything, unless it's either Louisiana Lafayette or UL Lafayette. Um, it's it, There's a demand for it right now, especially right now when the teams are winning. Anytime you have a team that's winning in any sport or your school's doing well, people want shirts. People want to wear the colors. People want to support the team. And what better way to do it than to get apparel, you know, uh, whether it's a jersey or a shirt with the logo or your name. And so right now is 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 is, is it's prime time to get that with what the football team has done. The university becoming an R one recently, the recent success we've had in sports overall, and there's none available. At least the kind of clothes or the kind of apparel that people want. Louisiana, Louisiana Raging Cajuns, Raging Cajuns. Instead, there's pictures on social media of UL Lafayette and Louisiana Lafayette, which once again we have an identity crisis. So that that's a problem because we're trying to we've been trying to fight this battle against other schools, and we've been trying to fight this battle against lawmakers and all these other people, but yet we're fighting ourselves now when we do that. We're fighting ourselves which gives ammo to the ones who, who complain about it in the first place. So I don't know what it is. I, I Look, the university has to figure this out. And I'm not talking just from apparel availability. I'm talking about from a, a marketing standpoint and a branding standpoint, how we're going to brand ourselves. That's more important, in my opinion, than just the availability of apparel. Look, I get, I get people wanting the official name on – a shirt. If uh, one of my favorite sweaters that I still wear to this day is an old USL sweater that has a university seal and it has USL on it. That is my favorite probably shirt or sweatshirt that I've ever had from the university because it's an official seal. If you do that and have university of Louisiana at Lafayette on it and make it a university shirt, no problems because that's our name. But when you're trying so hard to brand athletically, and we've talked so many times about how the university is protecting the brand, I, maybe they're overprotecting the brand at this point. Because I know when when we see coaches and players wearing this great Adidas gear, every single one of us is like, I want that. Where, where can we get it? And the answer is like, you can't. So Adidas is m missing out. The university is certainly missing out. And I get you want to protect the brand, but you gotta you gotta work with this here because we're trying we're trying to give you money, take my money, and nobody wants to take it. They want to they want to have this stuff we don't want to wear. So somebody's got to figure it out at some point, or we're just gonna again, like you said, Jerry, 
we're we're gonna go th- we're gonna go back to 1984 and have have an identity crisis again. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, and before Jerry, it looks like Jerry has a little follow up, but I have a comment too. And Robe was kind of big on this for a while. I don't know how how it, how long it stuck around, but here's the thing: some of these teams that you know, some of our athletic programs, it's an honor to be able to earn certain things to wear. Like, I don't think that everybody should get a packed T-shirt for warmups, right? I mean, it you got to keep it special for. The guys, the recruits, there's they have to have something that's their own. Totally understand that. And and I, I support that idea. But there's got to be something in between. People want official gear from the team. They want to feel like they're part of the team somehow. And as kind of juvenile as that might sound when you say it out loud, go ahead and sell it to them. If they're willing to pay $45 for an Adidas t-shirt that has the official logo on it, sell it to them. I don't. My problem is, is that other schools don't seem to have this problem. But it always seems to crop up with us. Am I the only one seeing that, Jerry? Am I, am I off base? It's, it just seems like that's our problem. It's, it's always isolated to Louisiana when it comes to these kinds of things. Well, I'll give you an example. So obviously the, the more official apparel is going to be at the bookstores. You're going to have to order it online. Look at the grocery stores in town. I mean, look at certain stores like a Walmart or, or a grocery store you walk into and they'll have – the big Raging Cajuns logo, but then they'll give you a random T-shirt with the big Hot Wheels circle, well, and Louisiana Raging Cajuns circle, and like, they're Gildans. Nobody's buying that. But it's just that that goes back to the branding uh, identity crisis because now you're you're using logos that the school doesn't even use anymore, and and then on top of that, they're giving you this, they're selling you this apparel next to LSU gear. It's like, well. wait a minute hold on you know so i think yeah again it's i think you're right no i know you're right josh where fans do want to feel like they're a part of something they want to feel like they're a part of the team make something sell something that's more official and and here's the other thing if you're looking to make revenue and like looking to make some money fans are going to buy that they'll spend the money for that there's no doubt especially when something's more official and looks official and feels good like there's a certain type of of, of um, material on the on the shirt or the pants or whatever you buy, I think fans will buy that. You know, if you look around and go to any baseball games or football games, a lot of the apparel people wear, are, are, it's nice, some nice clothing. You know, you can tell people spend money on that. So really, I understand right now, look, in this economy, I know there's, some, there's still some supply chain shortages. At the same time, when you do have the availability, make sure you have availability that says Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Not the, the whole UL Lafayette, Louisiana Lafayette. Again, that's a bigger problem to me because once again, like Nick said, we're going back to 1984, and it's not against an outside uh, party. It's it's us. We're going to be battling ourselves on this identity thing. So, uh, yeah, definitely they have to do something to fix that. I mean, that you, you have to do that. Well, we usually are battling ourselves. That's kind of. That is the tradition. If we don't have tradition, that's it. But but I think it's fair to ask the question, right? When you go ahead and farm out your apparel and your license, or not licensing, but your uh, your clothing and everything that what you're going to have available to to purchase for your fans, how do you not? How does the meeting not go something like this? Listen, we were this, but our branding effort is this. We really want to focus on this, and our fans are on board, and they want to buy this. How how does that conversation not? take place. And I don't know who really had uh, the, the stroke in the meeting. I don't know who had the meeting. I don't know if it was Brian. I don't know who it was. Maybe Leslie was in it. I don't know. But I'm, I'm just simply asking as somebody that has no knowledge of what happened. When you call up Barnes and, no- Barnes and Noble and you say, look, we want you to take over operations, 
how do you not say, this is what we need from you as our third-party vendor? You know what I mean? I don't think that that's out of bounds to ask the question. And look, if it's not working, you need to set the contract on fire. If they're not delivering, they need to set it on fire. I don't want to hear, well, we're under contract. Well, listen, they're not delivering what you asked for if you did ask for it. And if you didn't ask for it, that's a whole other conversation, which is worse. I think too, Josh, you, we, we mentioned, and I've heard through the grapevine that it's really difficult to get a licensing agreement with the university. So now they have a licensing agreement with someone who's doing stuff, who's making gear that we don't even want. So why is it so difficult? I mean, it shouldn't be that difficult in the first place, but if it is that difficult, you would think that quality control would be number one on that list. That's why it's so difficult and it's not. So what, what are they protecting? That's what I'm not getting the disconnect here. It's a true sign of the times when the AD is on Twitter telling fans, call this number, tell this manager what you want. You know, if anybody has a license, go start producing uh, shirts and, and hats and stuff that other fans can buy. They're, they're crowdsourcing the clothing that we want to buy from the bookstore. So kind of it's a conflict of interest if you really stop and think about it. That's where we are as a fan base with our, with our clothy ears. I don't know, man. That seems kind of, kind of bad. You know, maybe I'm overthinking it, but I can't get a polo and it's the middle of football season? That's pretty tough. Like I said, take my money. Take my money. <laughs> and, and, and we understand with collegiate apparel, just like NFL apparel, you're going to get a T-shirt. It'll cost you 40 bucks for, for a T-shirt. Right. We get that. But I'm more likely to spend 40 bucks on a T-shirt if it has the branding, the logo the, that we want. Like what's behind me right here. You stick this logo on a, on a polo, or a, you know, whether it's Under Armour or Adidas or Nike, a nice polo, I'm going to pay a hundred bucks for it. You stick University of Louisiana or just Louisiana Lafayette athletics on it. I ain't paying $10 for it because I'm not going to wear it. So again, take my money. I'm trying to give it to you. It's about the availability. It's about the availability. I mean, if you have availability for a brand that you really don't want to, that you don't want, that's one thing, but the demand is the demand that I'm seeing from fans is for the brand that, where there's no availability again, Louisiana raging Cajuns, Louisiana athletics, Louisiana, just raging Cajuns, you know, again, I don't not to be mean. I'm not to sound like a spoiled brat here. I don't want to wear a UL Lafayette shirt. You know, that's what, that's what the school East of the basin puts on their schedule. They put UL Lafayette. Wait, hold on a second. That. But they told you yeah. we're not, we're not that they told you the athletic department told you we're Louisiana. So it's not, you're being spoiled brat. You're, you're not even that, Josh. You're it going by on, their, their, their wishes. It is on the official university website. Do not refer to us as UL Lafayette. What do you see on t-shirts? And we're selling the apparel yeah. with it on there. <laughs> about so as what, consistent I, as their what? media policy. <laughs> but speaking of all that stuff, Jerry, mm-hmm. we had another debacle just this past week. And this one, <laughs> this one bothers me a little bit more because the tailgating was... Better than it's been in a long time, especially on yes. the west side of the stadium. I was very pleased with that. with that. Now, I thought the students could have brought it a little bit more, but hey, they ended up showing out in the stands for a while. Uh, but anyway, that's, a, that's another conversation. We had, in my view, we had between twenty four and 25,000. That's what I saw there. I have not seen the hill look like that in years. I have not seen upper deck as uh, dense as, the, as it was in years. 
The home side was mostly full. The concourse was totally full, mostly with people sitting in line. We'll get there later. Uh, the south end zone was also, I mean, it was speckled, but you could tell it was there were more people there, right? I, I have an issue with getting people to come to the stadium after you've begged them to come to the stadium, and then you slap a 15,000 and some change number on your website, and then you pull that down and change it to N-A. In a, <laughs> and the explanation, the explanation that we got was that the scanners broke and apparently yeah. it was a nationwide event. Okay. That's fine. I'm willing to accept that if that's what happened. However, why the hell would you put in a, I mean, look, I know that there are restrictions and things and, and you guys know where I'm headed with this, but let's just start marking down some Roman numerals and make up a damn number. There were 24 to 25,000 people in the stadium on Saturday. And then you turn over 15000 and some change, and then that number gets circulated. I mean, that's, that's bad. That's really bad. Especially when, and you know, we really, HUD got the Raging Review bump. We'll call it that, rather than the other way around, where what really happened was that Raging Review got the HUD bump. But we're, we're, we're going to take care, we're going to take control of the narrative here. He, look, they turned out. People turned out to see HUD. They turned out to watch football on a beautiful day, which, by the way, the forecasters all week said it was going to rain. Oh, my, there might be flooding going on Saturday night. Nope, not a drop. That's a whole other rant. I'm not going to go down that road. But we turned people out. We had great tailgating. We had we had a nice hello and goodbye to HUD, which was at the end of a TV timeout in the first quarter. I'll never understand why the hell that took place. We just continue to not do these things right. Uh, but there were way more than 15,000. How, how on earth are you going to report that and then change it to NA? You want me to make you mad, Josh? I think I know what you're going to say, but sure. So the um, official attendance did get released, and it's not 15,000. It is 18,079. That is the official reported attendance. That, so, is, that is completely and totally wrong. Completely and totally wrong. It's not close. We've all been inside a Cajun field, folks. We know what 18,000 people... It looks kind of like what Central, I mean, uh, Southeastern looked like last week. That's what... What was it? 17,000, 16 and some change? 16,5, I think. Okay, you're telling me a thousand more people were there for Eastern Michigan, Jerry? No, nah, it was a lot more than that. Way more. So, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, well, so Nick just drops a bomb right at the end of the rant, and now I'm about to go like completely <laughs> berserk. That is ridiculous. <laughs> well, it's it's funny because I um I you know, walking in, uh, I looked around, you look at the hill on the north end zone, and it was pretty packed especially on the home side the student section was packed now you had some empty seats next to the student section but a lot of seats were pretty full in the end zone on the south side and then even in the upper deck there was a good crowd uh my guess before the game was around 21-3 21-4 I don't remember what it was but I, I thought that that number was pretty accurate for the game I would have said okay at a minimum it had to have been my prediction and when they showed the 15-3 I was like wait a minute that no way no way and come to find out now, this is, you know, secondhand, you know, knowledge. But from what I understand, when the scanners broke, they were just letting people in. They were just letting people in. They were looking at their tickets and letting them in. Well, you know, we announced the crowd is 15-352 the other night in our, in our post game, And that's when we were all like, there's no way. And then in the middle of our post game, it goes to N.A. So I know they had to reconfigure something, some type of formula or something they, they put in. But 18,079 for that crowd, mm -mm. I, I just have a hard time believing that. I, I think. And how did they get that least, number? 
to me, there was a minimum of 20. I would have said at least 20. Minimum. Minimum at least 20. There's no way that there was only 18,079 people. Go ahead, Nick. I'm sorry. I was saying they did the Cajun math. They multiplied divided by two. (laughs) (laughs) That's so ridiculous, man. Again, our own worst enemy. I remember back in the nineties. You think that's you think that's bad. I remember back in the nineties, there was always this older lady with a red coat. Nick, you might remember. And like every gate you walked in, there was an older lady with a red coat with the little what's it called? The, the ticker. Yeah. And she would she would literally do it that way. And I remember like, oh my like how, is that how y'all count attendance? And literally that's how they counted attendance back then. They would take the little clicker and they would click what's it called? Um Nick. Um, oh, the clickers, huh? <laughs> yeah, the clicker. They would just click the number, the like the umpire clicker. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was the like the umpire clicker, and they would just click. And I'm like, wow, it's almost like count. You might as well get an abacus out and just count it with the abacus, you know. <laughs> um, so, so maybe they, look, maybe they should have done that when the scanners went out. I would have been all about the clicker. At least you would have had more of an accurate count than just hey, let's come up with a random formula. And uh, you know, they probably went into a room and they were all like. Eh, you think you feel? Let's just throw a number out. Let's you pick a number. No, you pick a number. Okay, let's divide them by. Let's divide them by two, like you said, and come up with an average, and we'll just bring it. They would have looked for the clicker, but it's probably in Florida right now, so they just said, "Screw it, we'll just we'll figure it out." <laughs> Here's an idea. Why didn't they go take yeah. the the notebook out of the ticket office and just start writing stuff down? We could use we could have used that method the old the old school way. I knew that was gonna get a laugh out of Jerry. Uh, God, <laughs> you know. I I had this. I was gonna wrap this topic up real nicely, but Nick pissed me off. It's it's just so ridiculous. It's like look, all you ever hear from people in in the suits and in the, in the blazers is big time, big time, big time, big time. But we still operate small time, small time, small time, small time, and we continue to do it, and we continue to do it. And he, speaking of small time, and Nick brought this up, and this is a shout out to one of our listeners that actually started talking about this. We won a conference championship on our home soil last week or last year. In week one, where you're playing an FCS opponent and you really want to promote the game and start the season off right, one glaring, uh, and I, it might not, it's not glaring because nobody talked about it until, until now, but when are we going to drop a banner for winning the conference outright in Lafayette, Louisiana for the first time ever? There's no banner. There's no recognition. There's no plaque. There's no, there's nothing. How, how did this happen? Look, and I know he said a banner. I know he said, why isn't there a banner in Cajun Field? And I said, that's a good question. But I know that's an NFL thing that they do banners and, and all that stuff. I don't need a banner, but again, recognition for it. App State has things have, all over the, the stadium that lets you know they've won the conference five right. times in a row or whatever it was, four times in a row. It's all right. over the place. It goes, so it goes, Nick, it goes back to the, I used to say this all the time. I kind of stopped saying it, but I'll bring it back as a fan base, as a, as a program, we suffer from low self-esteem. We don't want to tell everybody how great we are. It's like a, it's, it's a problem to let everybody know that we have accomplishments on the wall. Why is this? Why does this persist? Yeah. Great question. And, and we put up that weird, um, you know, the, the, the goalposts from A&M, you know, we we're, were talking about that, Jerry. They had a goalpost statue in the end zone, which was ridiculous, and they ended up taking down. So if we can do that, I mean, you would think that this is truly the biggest thing to happen in our in our pro- football program in, in years, if not ever. Like, we won an outright conference championship, 
and, and cricket. So uh, you would think, again, they had a, a huge mural, I think, for the New Orleans Bowl, right? I mean, do something. Get some recognition. It should have been a party. It should have been a party that first game celebrating our win. And, and even, you know, we talked about how HUD got introduced on like a TV timeout in the first quarter, which don't get me started on that. But why not have like a faux banner for that particular moment? That was a big moment. I mean, look at look at the people's reaction to the podcast just talking to HUD. It was huge. HUD was a big deal. HUD returned to Lafayette. You know, it was kind of the culmination. We had the 2011 and 2012 team here. Let's make a faux banner and drop it. You know, just just to make it fun, make an event, make people remember what we were and what the fan base was like and what tailgating was like back then. How hard is that? These are easy ideas. Yeah, and, and it, it's something you can promote. It's free. Like when you're going TV, you're saying, hey, be there early for the unveiling of the championship banner. You know, missed opportunity, man. I mean, you know, there's other places, I'm not going to name them, that hang flags up and banners and all kinds of different things. You can do a mural, like you said, Nick. I, I I mean, look, you put it under the scoreboard. I don't care. Hang it by the flags and the north end zone, well, you know, where we do, where they put the American Acadiana flag. Put it somewhere. Put it on the, at a flagpole. I don't care. Put it on the flagpole. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. There, there's so many opportunities to, to do that and recognize that type of success. I mean, look, you've got schools that, list every bowl they've been to every bowl they've won every champion conference championship they've won and been to i, I would hope we'd have room at cajun field to do the same i mean look at the look at the teague you know you go to the to russo park in the front by the ticket office they've they used to have i don't know if they still do nick but they used to have that long stretch of of successes of raging cajun's baseball dating all the way back to like what the 60s or 70s all the way till today you know, regional appearances, then Omaha appearance, super regional appearances, conference championships and everything. You, there's a lot of real estate by Cajun Field where you can at least have somewhere to recognize that. I, I mean, something, somewhere. Dude, look, I hate to compare ourselves to the mess down the road, but they have the Intimidator at their baseball stadium. Now, it's national championships and they have a lot of history. I'm not going to take that away. I'm not going to make fun of that. That's a hell of an accomplishment. HUD won how many consecutive bowl games in a row? Four or five? Four. Let's erect something out there that just says however many in a row or, you know, six bowl championships in five or six and eight years or whatever. Come up with something. Fake it till you make it. Give something some, give us, give the fan base, especially the new fans, something that they can, they can attach themselves to and be proud of as new fans. How about the students? They look up there, they get a little sense of pride out of that. It's something. Oh, my. <laughs> well, look, shit. To, talk about, to talk about it from a pro standpoint, you go to a Saints game, what's the first thing you see in the Superdome? You see the division banners. You see the world champion banner when they won the Super Bowl. I mean, it's noticeable. I mean, even when they play Sugar Bowls and other types of games, those banners stay up there. People see that, you know. I mean, it's something people easily recognize. And not to say we have to pay ridiculous amount of money for this expensive, huge banner, but – Again, even a flag, even a flag, 2021 Sunbelt Conference champions, you know, something. We don't something. commemorate anything. Where were, where, everybody's got a T-shirt. Marshall went and beat uh, Notre Dame, and they have, a, they have fan sites selling hundreds of T-shirts. Where was our T-shirt for beating Iowa State? We didn't get a damn T-shirt. But my thing is, like, we don't need a physical, like, I, the, forget the banner idea. When I was, I went to the Saints' first home game after they won the Super Bowl, and when they unveiled that banner, there. they had Harry Connick Jr. on the field. Yep. They had, they had the Mardi Gras float. 
all these, I mean, it was a celebration before, during, after the game. It was amazing. Why didn't we ask Peanut to come down? Why didn't we ask Jake to be there? Why didn't we ask all these old players that everybody knows to be there? Promote it for weeks. Tell everybody, let's let's have a celebration. Let's celebrate the team. Again, it's it's free free marketing. You don't have to pay for that stuff. You go on KATC, KLFY, KPEL, wherever you go and you promote it. And get people excited because that's what's missing is the excitement. It's the buzz. It's the want to be there. Um, I, it's, there's just no feeling for me, at least, uh, that that's going on right now. And it, you have a great perspective because you don't live here in town. So you're disconnected already. Your disposition is that you don't, you're not around it. But I can tell you, I live across the street and it feels the same way. If I didn't turn on Prather in the morning, I wouldn't hear a thing about Raging Cajun Athletics until I go and look for it. You know, I see, I see a billboard here or there, but I'm telling you, I literally live across the street from the stadium, and there's nothing. <laughs> I but mean, there, there's, there's no promotion. There's nothing. There, there's nothing. There's, it's not enough. It's not close. But it's not, and I will, I will say this. It, this is not just a UL thing because I'm telling you, I've lived in Houston for three years, and I think I've heard two uh, TV mentions in the news about either the University of Houston and definitely not Rice. You never hear about them. It's always about AM and Texas. It's all you hear on Houston news. So I get it. It's the same here. They have the same problems that we have, but it doesn't mean we can't think through it and be better than that because it's a smaller community and you have more to offer to your local fans there, right? So on the back end of that point, we don't want to be the podcast that did bitches about everything. We're in it for solutions, all right? So here are going to be some solutions that we kind of brainstormed over the course of the last three or four days because, again, what we want to do is have conversations that end uh, in problem solving. So we kind of did some homework, and I asked the guys to give three things that they would change, the three biggest things that they would change about in-game experience and game day atmosphere. So I'll start with Jerry. Jerry, you go to the games, you and I see each other, we sit, we talk, we, we holler, we scream together, we do all this stuff. And especially now that you have a kid, you have a little bit different ex- uh, pers- uh, perspective because your wife goes with you more and you guys are all there often, you have your baby there. Three things that you would change about in-game experience and how we can elevate the fan, uh, the fan experience inside the stadium. Well, first of all, I mean, the number one thing for me would be concession lines. There has to be a solution to the concession lines. You know, and I, I mean, I've heard constant, so many stories from fans and friends, even me, my experience, my wife's experience of going to get a diet, a, a diet Coke, a Coke, a beer, a, wa- a bottle of water, a hot dog, and you're waiting in line for 30 minutes. And then that's not including some people like, I'm, you know, we're RCF members. I get my little RCAF pa- RCAF pass, and you're still waiting in a long line. Like the other night, that RCAF line was just as long as the regular line. Now, granted, it was you didn't have to wait as long, but you're still waiting 30 minutes. I mean, I think that's definitely something that needs to be addressed. Um, and the problem with that is, is it's hot, cold. Some games you wait a long time, some games you don't. I know one one of the one of the problems last year, I believe it was for the Nichols game, was the fact that the the Wi-Fi was down for the credit card machines, so they couldn't scan credit cards. Well, you better find a better solution than that. If you can't scan credit cards when the line's already long, you know that's why my 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 wife waited. I think she got she 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 waited in line like she went with about seven minutes to go in the first half and came back to the seats halfway through halftime. I mean that's come on to get a hot dog and a and a, and a bottle of water. Come on. 
So that's one thing I would change. Another thing I would change, you know, I think the biggest issue with Cajun field experience is we're trying to force tradition. Um, I don't know the solution to this, but I do think it is something. I think we need to do something that's more organic. Uh, I know before, and I don't know if it's because of the piped in music. I don't know if it's because of certain things we do, but um, I remember before, even when the crowds were, it was before we were consistently winning. I felt more of an intimate atmosphere. Maybe it was because I was in the student section or something, but I felt the stadium was more intimate. I don't know what the solution is to that. I know they try to do things like, you know, the kids run on the field and you've got these different traditions they're trying to do. But I think the manufacturing of traditions constantly and changing it every year, you're not going to find consistency there. You have to find something that's more consistent and stick with it. Right. It's like baseball. Like when y'all when like, it's like baseball when we started playing center field years ago, and it was just something that was new, but not only did you stick with it, it's become one of the most unique traditions in all of college baseball, right? Because you stuck with it and the fans embraced it. So find something the fans are going to embrace and stick with it. Um, outside the stadium, I would probably, well, actually, no, another experience I would do inside the stadium. And I don't know if this was last week because of TV, let the students sit in that middle section don't put them, don't, 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 don't consolidate them into that one section and make that whole entire section by the 50 yard line look empty because that, I mean, just imagine you're watching a game on national TV, you're on national TV. All right. And I know you're trying to make the student section look packed, but if you look at the crowd next to that student section, it, it was empty. You could count like, I mean, that's 50 yard line seats, man. You could count the number of people in that section. I mean, just imagine what that looks like on TV. So I know it sounds kind of corny and cheesy, but let the students sit in that section because obviously it's not getting filled up by general admission. Most general admission people don't even sit on that side because they don't want to sit in the sun. They either go on the hill or they go in the end zone or they go sit in the upper deck. Find a way. I don't know what the solution is. Find And I know, and look, I know the complaint I've heard from people in the administration. Well, it's prime seating on that side. It's, 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 you know, we got to put, we got to put a cost to it or something. We got to make some money off of it because it's, it's, it's good seats. Well, obviously people aren't sitting there. So if people aren't sitting there, make let the students sit there. Make it look more full across the board rather than just one section while the other section is completely empty. Real so quick. that would be my three solutions. I also have solutions about tailgate. I'm not solutions, but I do think I think tailgating's gotten better. I'm really not going to say much about tailgating, how the pricing works, you know, like I really, you know, that's not for me to decide. But as far as the in game, like I said, concessions. If you want to have traditions or create an intimate atmosphere, make it more organic. And if you find a tradition, stick with it. And then the third thing, let the students sit in that section because it, you know, obviously nobody's sitting on that side. Let that be the students and make it look more full on TV. They're not sitting on the side because it's 137 degrees in the sun. If the students want to sit there, let them freaking sit there until there's demand for the tickets, especially when you're in a lightning delay and nobody's on the field. I mean, come on. (laughs) Tell me you don't like the students without telling me you don't like the students. Kicking them out. Moving them out. There's nobody left. Well, let me before Nick, before you go, I did want to make a point about that. They actually created uh, tickets availability for season tickets for, I think, around 2014, 2015 in that section. And I had some friends that actually sat on that side. Well, guess what? After three or four years, they're sitting on that side, and it turned, to be, it turned out to be 137 degrees. So what did they do? They moved back to the home side. And they sit, they sit in section B or C. So 
I'm with you on that, Josh. I, look, they tried it already. People don't want to sit there. Look, outside of general admission, yeah, you'll get some people that'll get walk-up tickets and they'll sit on that side. But obviously, it's not enough. And obviously, it looks very empty come game time. Because, again, most people are sitting on the home side in the upper deck to get away from the sun. They're sitting in the end zone because the access is closer to the gate and the concession stands. Or they're sitting on the hill with their kids. So create that for the away, create that for the away visitors and let the students sit there because at least somebody's sitting there. At least somebody's in those stands. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Nick. All right. So number one for me is, is like you said, consistency. We need consistency. You need to know that when you go to a game, you're going to have a good time and it's going to be, it's going to be the same every time. You're going to have the same positive experience. You're not going to show up one day and you can't use your credit card the next day the the bathrooms are down you have to go in the end like it's just got to be a consistent product for people to want to come back um i think a mix of music that and and look i when i used to do the music i could hit at the right time if you had the right timing all i do is win and you had 85 year old people standing up and doing this right putting their hands up and so if you hit it right at the right time of the game, you can play rap stuff and nobody's going to notice because they're into it. They're having fun. It matches the vibe. But I think you need to give the opportunity for people who are in the stands to also hear music that they like, because I get that it's about the players and we want to get them pumped up. But you also want to have people who go to the game who enjoy being there. And part of that is being able to hear music that they're familiar with. Now, I'm not telling you to go back and play Cindy Lauper, but I'm saying go back and play Rush or go back and play Keith Frank or or. You there are so many great Zodico and Cajun bands that we can play that are upbeat and people will get up and dance and have a good time too. So I think a better mix of music and then third, make it fun. I, I, I know I always go back to the ice skaters, but they had Ralph Begno rest his soul shooting hot dogs into the crowd and people went absolutely nuts and they would eat that stupid hot dog that God knows how long it's been in that cannon that they shot, shot off into the crowd. People ate that up. Make it fun. When there's nothing happening, have something happen. And I'm not talking, look, HUD was great during the first quarter break, or it should have been halftime, but stuff like that during the quarter breaks are fine. But it's not something that'll get people up and having fun and loud and, and rowdy. Figure something out to, to get the crowd into it and not just sit back and do a golf clap uh, because that's that's not fun. You got to make the whole experience fun. And part of that is get a damn mascot. I don't understand why it's so hard. And I'm not talking about a stupid pepper because that, that was God awful, but get a mascot. I've been saying this for years. We, we, there are so many different directions we can go as far as the bull gator, as far as somebody said, a Rougarou as it just get something that kids can, they can go in the stands. They can have fun. People to this day still talk about the Cajun chicken. Think about that. We had a chicken mascot. You know what? Do a Cajun chicken version too. Do something that people can have fun with, that can mess with people in the stands, that can, you know, go out and, and do flips on the field. I don't know, whatever they do. Because again, it goes back to making it a fun experience and 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 not just not just delivering things like let's recognize our sponsors who are on the field today. Let's have stuff going on during every quarter break or every break. We have so many TV timeouts. You can cram something really fun to get the crowd into it so i think that's something that that would would bring people in and probably keep them in um rather than maybe going tailgate for the second half of the ball game if we end up going the mascot route can we not do a mascot that you see in your freaking nightmares because that 
that cayenne thing was <laughs> terrifying. Still, sometimes, you know, you never know. It pops up in a nightmare. But, you know, what we could do is get Poo Poo to go out there and shoot boudin balls at people. That'd be fun. That, that would be awesome. That's a good sponsorship opportunity, too, for Absolutely. Billy's. <laughs> Absolutely. So, speaking of Billy's and all the others, um, I think it's Best Stop that is the official boudin. Are they official boudin? I think it's Billy. I, I think it's Best Stop. This it rolls right into one of my three things, right? We have all these concession problems. This is not something that's happened this year, last year, five years. This is as long as I've ever gone to Cajun Field. The concessions have always been a problem, whether it be the long lines, whether it be the quality of the food, whether it be, you know, lack of staff, whatever. I would like to see us, and this is not a revolutionary idea, but the way you do it, it the way you do it may be revolutionary. Uplift the third-party vendors. Spread them out across the concourse. Use the concessions on the west side that were closed, by the way, this past week. You can get the high school band in there to do popcorn and, and water and get their tips. That's fine, as long as you have enough of them. But you're going to sit here and tell me that Don's, Billy's, Karchner's, uh, 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 Best Stop, you're going to tell, every time I walk into one of these places, they have a million employees. Designate two of their employees to go out there and sell boudin balls and boudin. You kidding me? That doesn't take a lot of manpower, woman power, whatever it is. You get you some steamers out there and you sell boudin. We're, this is Cajun country. How come we don't do that? Somebody pointed out that it, it, they do sell more uh, third-party uh, vendor food on the student side. Okay, well, why don't they do it under the, the home side or under, you know, under UD and all that stuff? Where is it? I mean, hell, I don't care if they stand on the concourse. Set up some temporary... I don't know, bring, get the oil field companies to bring in those mats that they put out on the oil field sites, on the, on the drilling sites. Use that. I don't know. There's got to be a way that we can get food in bellies way more effectively. We have that big long walk up to each gate. Why don't we set up booths right there? Let people get some food while they wait to get into the gate so they don't even have to wait in line to get their food later. Maybe that's an idea. The or point. even better yet, Josh, how about have food trucks on this, the north end zone where you have all that walking space? That'd be a cool place to just have food trucks up there. Boom. I mean, tell Billy's, look, or tell Best Stop, hey, you're our sponsor, you're our official sponsor. We want you to be the official sponsor. So, so get you a, 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 a food truck, a mobile, come in here, get set up, and that's how we're going to do business. And there's plenty of room, like you said, plenty of room right there by the restrooms and all that stuff. There's plenty of room. That has got to be elevated. Why has that not happened before? We talk about this all the time. But for whatever reason, they won't try it. I don't know. I don't get it. It doesn't take a lot of, it doesn't take a lot of room to make cracklings. It doesn't, I mean, it, you're heating up boudin that you can make two weeks in advance. I mean, this is easy stuff. People will buy it for five, six, seven dollars a link at a baseball, at a football game. I mean, they can make a ton of money off of that with really not a lot of manpower. The overhead would be extremely low. Why has that not happened? That's the first thing I would change. Second thing I would change. We have a festival for literally everything. Frogs, rice, ducks, cracklins, po' boys, you name it. We have a festival for everything in every little community in this, in this Acadiana area, in our region. There should be six festivals for every home game that we have. If we have six home games, we can find six festivals. If it's five, we can find five. There should be a festival in the parking lot where nobody's parking, by the way. It makes it look fuller. It gives you another event to go to. It feeds you before you go to the game so you don't have to go stand in line in the concession. It gives people that would not typically go to a football game a reason to go to a football game. It gathers the communities from the outside, maybe, you know, the unincorporated areas and the people that would, you know, like the Bro Bridges and the, and the Opelousas and the Kaplans, people that won't go to a Cajun game, gets them in the parking lot. 
You get them in the parking lot, you see everybody else having a nice time, oh, what the hell, I'll give it a shot. Let's go see what the Cajuns are all about. How, how does that not... We talk, look, they had the gumbo cook-off for years right there in the, in the parking lot, and they did it in the offseason. The Cajuns play football in the winter during gumbo time. How is this not done on a Saturday in, in a tailgate? This, this seems know, so easy to me. It seems so easy. It's $20. You eat all the gumbo you can, you can possibly want, and you get to vote on who wins. Cajun you know, people love that stuff. And ironically about that, Josh, to me, I would think it's not difficult because you already have the stage by the yoke, so you have music. All you got to do is maybe order four or five extra tents and create the festival around that. Maybe get a few vendors out there, get two or three food trucks that, you know, create a theme for the festival, right? A like, theme every week. Say, yep. Yeah. I mean, this one, the, the you know, the first theme is going to be, you know, I don't know. The first theme is going to be the Zydeco or something. Right. If you're playing rice, that's perfect. You do yeah. you perfect. Combo. But look, you, you can take it a step further. You look, everybody has. You remember back in the day? I don't know if it's still the same way, but like you had crew to chew, and you had all these other tailgate crews. Let's have a damn jambalaya cook off yeah. with the crews, the tailgate crews. I, How hard is this to do? I would also say too, as like for example, a perfect example is like we talk about the gumbo cook-off, like in the in the when it gets closer to winter, right in November, later in the season, create a gumbo like some type of gumbo festival theme around the game. You know, kickoffs at six. You, you know, you have a gumbo cook-off. You get a few a few food trucks in there. You got your concert at the stage. You can turn it. You can basically bring festival Acadians to Cajun Field every Saturday. I mean, it, it's not difficult. If you can get a bunch of tents at Gerard Park to create the atmosphere that it does for that festival, and that's a festival that's very successful, by the way, you could create a miniature version of that on Saturday's occasion field for, I don't know, what, a, a day? Well, one day? first of I all, mean, for not? authenticity purposes, because we are a Raging Cajun podcast, you either have to say Festival Acadien or the Acadian Festival. Look, he said it just as bad as that rice radio guy said. <laughs> I'm playing that. I'm playing that, by the way. Yeah. A so, festival but you, All right, you, my apologies. Festival Acadien or Acadien. the or the Acadian Festival. I think you should go I'll with the Acadian English part. Festival. Yeah. yeah but but you're listen, the, 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 we all understand the premise, all right? Like it would be easy to create that or recreate that Acadian field. It'd be easy. You go get go get Ben Berthelot and say, "Hey, get us a list of all of the festivals that are you know currently downtown where they're paying out the ass just for a permit to do the I think it was the Po'boy, the Po'boy festival just a couple of years ago that got started. They're paying out the ass for a permit to do it downtown. Say, hey, bring it to Cajun Field. We, we won't charge you a thing. You know, structure the contract and say the very first year, hell, maybe maybe even the first two years, zero dollars to the university. After year two, where you get a little bit of traction, then we need to get a little bit of a cut. But you got to get people in the gates first. And once they see the crowds that they're going to have, then you can start talking about money. And, and regardless of if you make money off the festival, you get people in the gates you get people interested in your brand, and you get people in the gates. You might, look, if you get 10% of 2,500 people, that's 250 people. That's 250 people that's going to walk in your game, buy tickets, or maybe buy concessions, depending on if they fix the popcorn machine. Uh, <laughs> but, but look, you do that over the course of six weeks. I mean, this, this stuff is not hard, guys. So anyway, that's, that's my number two. And my number three is... I talked about this before on the pod, but South Alabama in their new stadium, in the, Han- in the Hancock-Whitney Stadium, they have a gathering area in one of the end zones. And basically, it's, it's a standing room only type deal, but they have a bar. 
So it's kind of like a you, you know, sit there with your drink and you can lean on it. I don't know what the capacity is. Maybe five, six hundred people, Jerry. It, it's not huge, yeah, but it's. I'd, yeah, I, I would say that it would be as if we we took our hill and created it into like three or four layers or decks and just put tables all around it. If you've ever been beer, to Yankee like Stadium, if you've ever ever been to Yankee Stadium in uh, in uh, right center there, they have that. You, it's standing room, and you, it's about chest high. You put your beer, you know, and you hang out. You watch the game. But we are a social uh, society. That's our fan base. Get people con- to co- come and congregate and watch the game together. A lot of people are not just going to go sit in the stands by themselves and watch the games. Get them to come and get together and watch the games together. Make it like a bar. Make it like you're at the bar. You're watching the game at the bar. I think that that has got to be part of our new stadium. If we don't, I think we're making we're making a big mistake and we're missing a huge opportunity to get people involved. They've done that with the cabanas, haven't they? When you walk in, haven't they? Yeah, but it's restricted. Of- it's restricted. It's you got to have a ticket and blah blah blah. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah, saying yeah. So make it make it general standing room. If you get a beer at the at the at whatever bar, you can walk down there freely whenever you want. First come, first serve. To me, it 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 kind of promotes that that tribal deal where you go down there and you got your Raging Cajun shirt on, you meet a new guy, hey, we're talking football, we're hanging out just like at the bar. I would be totally into that, it would, especially for us. Like, you know, we talk Raging Review with people, they want to talk with us. I'd rather be sitting at some place like that or standing like a place like that watching the game rather than sitting in the stands with a whole bunch of other people around me, you know. I just think that, I, I think that that environment invites you to be more involved with the game. Yeah, Josh, and you make a good point there because I was listening to a national broadcast this week and they were talking about attendance even at NFL games and how SoFi that was built out in California was built with so many suites because people have to be given a reason to connect with the team and to want to go to the stadium and have all the amenities that you would have at home because people can sit at home and watch a game for free and spend a lot less money. But if you make going to the game and experience and, and make it like watching it from home, make it social, make it hanging out with your friends, have, you know, TVs in the concourse that work, stuff like that, then, then that draws people to the stadium. And that's what I'm hoping that the new build out of the stadium accomplishes that we have those types of of uh, amenities included with it before we jump to rice i just want to make this last comment on the tvs thing and i'm going to keep saying it i've decided this is going to be a crusade of mine at the teague when we're opening up the teague for tailgating look there were a ton of people in there it's a great opportunity to go hang out at the teague it's a great place to, to tailgate i like it play the sunbelt games on the tvs play it in the outfield we want to be a part of a bigger a purpose. Our league is doing big things across the nation. Put the TVs on. I will leave my house three hours earlier to go sit at the Teague and buy overpriced beer if I can sit there with Cajun fans and watch App State knock off a top 10 team. So I just want somebody listening to get the message to whoever needs to hear it. Turn the damn TVs on at the Teague while we're tailgating. Very important. And look, and and that's part of, of getting people to inside the stadium is they have to have a reason why they want to go see us play South Alabama, why they want to see us play Texas state. So you have to have them connect to our, to our conference. And, and in order to do that, somebody who's tailgating out and not watching it, if they go into the Teague and see that and see other people talking about it, then you're generating interest as to why they need to go inside. 
Yes, and we need to text Tuna and tell him to give Sunbelt updates during the games. Why did we stop doing that? At what point do we just say, you know what, every, every other game that's on doesn't matter. We're just talking about our game. That's dumb. You got to let everybody else know that we're in an ecosystem where other people are playing important games. You're a part of a bigger thing. We, we got to let them know. Now. Especially now with what the Sunbelt's done. I mean, you, you almost want to hear it because that affects your team. That affects our team, yeah, right? Especially when the yeah. internet doesn't work and you can't get on your phone. Yeah, that is true. That is another problem. I would do something about the Wi-Fi in there. That's actually solution number four. <laughs> yeah, number four. Oh, gosh. I could do 10, but three three seemed appropriate. All right, let's move on to Rice. Big game. Uh, first of all, the depth chart for the Cajuns came out today. Looks pretty good. Uh, well, I say it looks pretty good. It looks pretty uh, identical with the change of Trey Amos is definitely going to start. He's back all the way. Lance Burton is back. Uh, he's going to be the backup at center. Hudson's still going to get the start, but apparently Burton's going to get some reps. We saw uh, Peter LeBlanc is now going to be the starter at Z wide receiver. And it looks like, um, uh, not Bergeron, uh, Bernard, Jacob Bernard is going to be the starter out wide for some reason. Uh, so those are the differences uh, from last week, but everything else is pretty much the same. Anybody have any thoughts on the depth chart before we jump into Rice? Nick, Jerry? No, I'm really excited to see Trey coming back. Um, I think he's going to be a big part of our success this weekend. We're going to need him. Yeah, because Rice is going to try to stretch the field. We'll talk about that in a little bit. They want to go over the top, so I think having him on the field will be a big win for us. Secondary is definitely going to have their work cut out for them this week. They're very similar to Eastern Michigan. They like to dink and doink, but they do like to spread the field out more. Um, I also I'm excited about Tramos coming back because he had I mean, he has a lot of high expectations coming in, but it's also good to see him kind of, you know, look, you're you you get. It's one thing to appreciate these two wins, because when you have guys like that coming back, at least, you know, their rest was worth it. Um, so it's good to see he's back uh, health wise. So, yeah, I mean, look, it's he's he's going to be put uh, put to work on Saturday. And I know we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but I excited to see him back. It's good to see the team for the most part, pretty healthy right now. Sure. Especially through two FBS games. Well, one one FCS game. But, you know, it doesn't matter. You can still get hurt in a, in a game against a weaker opponent. So. Overall, everything considered, we are pretty healthy. There's a couple of guys that are out due to eligibility issues, and that's a whole other thing. But for the most part, the team is healthy. Uh, I'll say this. Rice is better than Eastern Michigan. Uh, when you do a little bit of digging, and I'll just give a, an overall general feel of, of Rice, and then I'll kick it to Nick, and he'll get a little bit more specific. But I, I say that on paper and what they've been able to accomplish so far, uh, now you have to be able to read between the lines a little bit because they went out west to USC and got crumbed. I mean, they got they got destroyed. I mean, what, USC is one of the top ten teams in America if you look at just talent, and and that happened to them. So it's kind of hard to gauge. But then they beat McNeese, fifty two fourteen something like that. Uh, now McNeese did turn the football over five times, so hard to gauge. But their offense looked as advertised. Very good. They have a guy by the name of Luke McCaffrey who is yes that McCaffrey family. And he's he's transferred from Nebraska. Who he was a quarterback in Nebraska, a rushing quarterback. He comes to, to Rice. He goes to the wide receiver room, and apparently he's one of their best weapons. So that's terrifying. If you guys probably my forty somethings out there, you remember Marcus Tuiasosopo. He was uh, he went to Washington. He was a Washington Husky in college. He uh, he he was I think it was a starter for the Raiders for a few years, and then he went play he was for a the backup. He yeah, was a backup he played for the Gannon. he played for the Jets for a while. 
And uh, then as soon when you know when he couldn't hack it in the NFL anymore, he went over to coach in the Pac-12. I think he was at Oregon, tight ends coach, and maybe coached for Cal for a while. Anyway, the point is, is the guy's been around football for a very long time. He's their offensive coordinator. This is his second year. Um, they are going to try to beat you with offense. That's just the bottom line. And they showed some pretty nice flashes against McNeese, even though they a lot of times were on a short field. But I think that their wide receiver room is pretty good. Um, Gerald Broussard made a very good point this morning on Prather, who I was listening to. He said that the way that the schedule for the Cajuns uh, lays out in the first month, similar to how we thought in the preview, I like the way he said it. It was like step therapy almost. It was like, you know, that FCS opponent is what it is, and the Eastern Michigan is a step above, and then Rice is a step above that, and then next week we'll have a step above that. So you're having to see some guys come to age, and you're seeing some talent have to – it's growing up a little bit, and that's important. I mean, that's how you grow a team. So I think Rice is going to pull out some – maybe some – weaknesses of ours but I also think they give us an opportunity to uh, opportunity to improve but I think the number one thing that we can all uh we, we all need to keep in mind yes we're a 12 point favorite but this is the first time that this new team and this new coaching staff is going on the road a lot of things can happen in between here in Houston and with that I'll kick it to Nick yeah and you you also have to look at what they did last season I mean they were four and eight in 2021 but they had some really close losses um, throughout throughout the season, they did beat Southern Miss twenty four nineteen. They won at UAB thirty to twenty four. And Arkansas, we know Arkansas was good last year. Is they're good again this year? They were up seventeen to seven in the third quarter, and then uh, and then and then Arkansas ran away with it after that. Uh, a lot to do with depth, which which I'll talk about in a little bit. But even against USC, I mean, the reason the the game was so lopsided, I think they had three pick sixes that they threw. So, yeah, there. I mean, that's 21 points like that. And, and the games like that can get out of hand. Um, the thing that concerns me about them, like you said, offensively with Tuiasa Sopo, his goal is to stretch the field. And, and they did that last season. The problem is they just didn't punch it in. And, and it, last week against McNeese, now McNeese, the jury's still out on how good or, or not so good they are. They lost. Uh, they lost the week before to Montana State, forty to seventeen. So obviously they have defensive issues at McNeese. But uh, regardless, to put up that many points, I mean, we didn't put that many points up against Southeastern, and they were ranked in the FCS. So um, that in itself is impressive. TJ McMahon is their quarterback. He threw four t- touchdowns last week. Uh, so, but but again, he had three interceptions in in week one against USC. So it's going to be interesting to see how that matchup plays out with our cornerbacks and, and with his play. Um, I think they're going to come out and really try to punch us in the mouth. They saw what Eastern Michigan did last week. And I have no doubt the coach is saying, look, they had him on the ropes, but they let him back in. So um, I'll be getting a little worried if we get to the third quarter and it's close, I'll start, uh, you know, I'll start to get a little concerned. Uh, Depth is a concern for them. Now last week, again, against McNeese when they were playing in FCS school, they just blew them out the water. So I'm not sure that we really got to see how deep they are. But uh, I know when Phil Steele did his preview this year on Rice, depth was a big concern for him. Uh, they do have some great players up front. They, their first string, they've got like a two-time All-Conference USA right guard. They've got uh, they've got a defensive lineman with with that that will be in the NFL. He will play on Sundays. He can he can be a game changer. But after that, um, Phil mentioned that he was worried about their depth on both sides of the ball. So it, um, it'll be interesting. Like I said, they're going to come out and, and punch, try to punch us in the mouth. And 
their wide receivers, like you said, a step up from Eastern Michigan. You're talking about McCaffrey is six two. You've got Bradley Rosner, who who is is really their go to guy. Um, you're talking about a six five two zero four wide receiver, and then you've got three tight ends six three six five and six five. So they've got a they've got some big boys that we're going to have to cover. Um, so yeah, it's not going to be a walk in the park. Now I will say. 19 straight losses against out-of-conference FBS opponents. They have not beaten an out-of-conference FBS opponent since 2015. So we've got a target on our back, just like we did last week, just like we will every week going forward. They're going to want to make a statement. They're going to be playing hard, especially at the beginning of the game. So I think it'll be important for us to come out to a fast start. If we take all the doubt out in the first half of the game, then I think it'll be, you know, that 12-point spread. I think we beat that spread. But if we let them get ahead and, and get some momentum and we let a score before halftime go their way, I think it's going to be an interesting and, and not so not so easy game for my heart and my blood pressure. So, um, yeah, that's why I expect. I expect them to play hard. I expect them to try to go over the top. And um, it'll be up to our defense to really keep us in it like uh, like they've done the last two games. And I feel like it's a strength on strength. When it boils down, everything boils down, I think that Rice is going to be built around their wide receiver and their quarterback. McMahon, he, he's he got a talent, uh, but he also, he's kind of, I'm not going to use the word gunslinger, but he turns the football over. I mean, that's kind of his knock. But they take chances, and that can be very deadly. I mean, it could be one of those days, but I love our size matchup against their receivers. Here's the other thing that, that bothers me about this matchup. Rice scares me, I'm not going to lie to you. As good as our, our linebackers have played against the run, especially Moncrief and Osai, they've been bad in pass coverage. Eastern Michigan exposed that. I'm not saying that they are bad. I say, I'm saying that they have been bad in pass coverage. Expect, Jerry, you made the comment about the drag routes and kind of exploiting the middle. Uh, that worries me a lot, especially if the defensive line can't create some chaos up front. we got to be able to do that on Saturday. Other than that, look, the defense got five turnovers I don't know how much of that was them creating five turnovers or, you know, if McNeese was really just that bad. But at the end of the day, they created five turnovers. I mean, they got the five turnovers. You know what I mean? So we we have got to be disciplined and we got to execute. We have not executed through two games this year, you know, here and there. But we have not consistently executed through two games. We're going to have to execute to beat Rice. You can forget that 12-point spread and you can forget old school Rice. They have some talent on this team. And if we're not ready to play and we're not focused, we're going to get beat. I see a lot of similarities to a, um, and I know he's no longer there, but a Chip Lindsay, a Chip Lindsay Troy team, uh, vertical, like going vertical, spread the field, had some talent at the skill positions, uh, defensively, okay, right. Um, I see some similarities to the Troy teams we've played in the past. And of course it's not the same Troy team, but I see that with rice. Um, you know, they've got some decent skilled players. They got a quarterback, like you said, who's kind of like a gunslinger. They like to spread it out. They like to, you know, they like, they like to even spread the run game as well, spread the field open. But if they start getting pass happy, I do like our matchups with our secondary, especially with Trey Amos coming back. That's why I think it's so important for him to be back this week. Um, but you do have to go to their place. You know, you have to go to their house. You have to play on the road. Um, and, you know, this is a team we haven't played in a very long time, so we really don't know much as much about them as we would, say, um, I don't know, uh, you know, maybe a North Texas or someone who we've, who we've, even though it's been a while, but, I mean, we haven't played this team in over 30 years. So 
there's a lot of unfamiliar territory that we're, we're going into on Saturday against Rice. And so, um, you know, this is one of those games. I'm not going to call it a tribe game, but to say it we're a 12-point favorite, that's not something that I would be comfortable with uh, saying we would win by. Um, I also think that, like you said, Josh, you know, we can't go – we can't play inconsistent. And that's on both sides of the ball. You can't let them extend drives like they did in the first half against Eastern Michigan because they will score. You can't turn the ball over. You can't go three and out. You can't, you know, have have our running backs have trouble getting to the line of scrimmage because our offensive line can't open lanes like we did last week in the first half. Um, but granted, we are a second half team. That's our reputation. But again, you're you're you you're going into unfamiliar territory against a team that you really don't know much about and you can't, and it's harder to expect that uh, that that same second half Cajuns team to to, to show up. So, um, I, I like you said, Nick, I agree. Start off, start off early. Get on the board early. Set the tone early. And you know, I think against Rice, kind of comes off as that type of team where if you hit them early and you impose your will on them, you can you you can set the tone pretty soon. So that that's going to be up to us. And, and I think our defensive line, because as you said, Josh, TJ McMahon, he's known to be turnover prone. So we need to bring the pressure. We need Osai. We need uh, Hill Green um, to, to be at their best at the beginning of the game. Um, I look for maybe Wiser to create some havoc. I'm, I'm hoping he has a big game as well. So um, we just need our guys to step up early and get some pressure on him and, and make something happen early in the game. Take take the momentum from him and and good things might be able to happen for us. I always like my chances when I'm going into a game where I feel like my team is the more physical team. And anybody, they're going to play a 3-4 defense with a buck. We're, we're gonna be, if we're going to run the football this year, if we're going to run the football this year, we're going to find out this week. You have to, and, and that goes, to take advantage of that. That rolls right into being a second-half team. Yeah. And I fully expect Mike, yeah. I, he's not going to get into a pissing match with this other high-powered offense. What he's going to do, if I know Mike, he's going to run a ball. He's going to use the tight end, hopefully. Hopefully. And we're going to control the football. And that's how we're going to beat them. We're going to beat them with our physicality. And with we have got to execute. But before we go any further, if you guys don't mind, I would like to provide some bulletin board material. Because we like to talk about respect around here. You know, it's very important to us. And we have the nation's longest winning streak, which is 15. The Rice people think it's 14, by the way. They, they haven't kept up. But just to let everybody know out there that um, this is how much familiarity and respect they have for our head football coach. Game week here, 7 until 8 p.m. Acme Oyster House. Uh, head coach, Michael Desmoreau. Coach, uh, co-OC. Michael Desmoreau. If anybody's out there in the uh, athletic office listening to that, please get it to Mike. Desmoreau. Like I told you, it's like when, when Trump went to uh, Lake Charles and they called it Cal Cascutsku. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that is not a political statement. I don't want to hear anything from any of you. Definitely not a political statement. Anyway, we better show up ready to play because if not, they're going to kick our ass over the top. They just will. They're going to they're going to test our our strength is our secondary, and if it's if it's not ready and in place, I don't look. I love our secondary. I, you got we talk about it every week, but if we're not ready to play, we're going to get torched. I think everybody's in place. I think we're fine. I agree. But again, I think they have legitimate concerns with depth on both sides of the ball. So I think even if we're close in the third quarter, um, 
I, I just think we got to wear them down, wear them down early because we know that is something that they, they have trouble with. Um, so big key to the game for me will be our depth. Another thing too is, you know, offensively, if they're finesse, usually finesse teams, the way they beat us is they constantly convert. And I mean, convert like a lot. If you notice coastal Carolina, or we call them COVID Carolina, right, in 2020, they kept converting third downs, extending drives. I don't know if Rice, I'm not sure, but I don't know if Rice can do that. Uh, and if they do, but if they do, that's where they'll. That's when it'll be a game. Because like you said, Josh, I do think we will be physical. I think Mike will try to impose the physicality to start the game from opening kickoff. That's really, I mean, that was Billy's forte for the longest time, and it worked. You know, other teams would run the spread and they would do what Liberty did. And then we would just beat them at the line of scrimmage. And by the fourth quarter, they're tapping out and we're scoring 21 or however many points in that one quarter. So I think that could be it. That could be uh, what happens this weekend. But you got to You got to play from the start. You can't have uh, a half like you had in the first half last week. Um, it's not you, you. You might not get out that easy if you do that. So they're going to have to. Um, play the full four quarters and not and not uh, look like a team that didn't want to be there in the first half, especially on the road. And I will say, um, I don't know if their team has confidence. Their fans definitely have confidence. There was one guy on their their version of Rage and Page and saying that when they beat us and they beat Houston next week, they'll run the table and they'll they'll be in talks for the uh, college football New Year Six. So um, just a heads up that they're they're very confident next week going into the game. I'm in the minority on that. I love that kind of stuff. Like, what fun is football if we don't have fans like that out there? That's I'm why. All about it. That's why I love Jerry's uh, monthly edition of this this week in Rustin Tech Delusion. It's it's the best. <laughs> it's one of the best series we have going, I and mean, it's outstanding stuff. Oh, have you have you heard the latest? If you haven't read it on Twitter, have you heard the latest on the Rustin Tech Delusion? They're just uh, laying today? down. They're just laying down. So they um they they have a thread on their was it La Tech bulldog barks and bites or whatever and basically they they have said that the sunbelt they have admitted the sunbelt is the best g5 conference they a lot of their fans have just said you know we had our chance you know unfortunately things didn't roll our way and we did what was right at the time by going to the whack and conference usa but now the sunbelt it's their time to shine and we're kind of in a a, a bad predicament there but you know what and jerry it's really not that it's not that polarizing to say they did do the right thing at the time because at the time the whack was the right way to go if you could get there. The problem sure. is is their administrators and everybody that that kind of pulled the levers around there talked that mouth. They ran that damn mouth and you alienated so many people around you and nobody wants to have anything to do with you anymore and that's the problem and the fans were just as bad. Look, Marshall went to the Mac, dominated the Mac with Chad Pennington, Randy Moss. I mean, finished undefeated one season and finished in the top 10. Then they went to Conference USA. I believe they won the conference a few times in CUSA, or at least finished in the top 25 once or twice. And they kind of followed that same path as Louisiana Tech did, but they were actually were gracious to want to come to the Sun Belt and look at, look at them now. If Louisiana Tech would have done the same thing, they, they'd be in the Sun Belt with us. But instead, they burned bridges, and now nobody wants them. And now they're stuck, stuck in Conference USA in, in the conference that they thought was, was – uh, created separation so anyway so one of their fans while the other fans were just kind of saying yeah it is what it is one of their fans said um that i kid you not that the sunbelt 
it's a cyclical thing. And eventually what's going to happen is the Sun Belt's going to be the next conference that gets raided because I quote, the Eastern teams of the conference will want nothing to do with the Western teams. So they're going to leave us, Arkansas State, ULM, Texas State, they're going to leave us behind. And eventually Tech's going to join the Sun Belt and we're just going to be a worse off conference because all the teams in the East are going to move to bigger and better things. You got to respect that amount of delusion. You got to respect it. (laughs) By the way, two two games in to a whole new conference, <laughs> we're already right. talking about the next iteration. Right. Well, yeah, it's kind of like Dumb and Dumber when 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 old, what's her face says that uh, you know you is a one in a million chance that you that I'll ever end up with you. And he says, so you're saying there's a chance. It's kind of like that, you know, where it's like, so you're saying there's a chance that we'll still end up in a good spot. Meanwhile, all the other fans just kind of threw their hands up and they're like, oh man. We got to do what we can. I think one of their fans commented after that, like uh, it's going to take because of the poor leadership of our administration, it's going to take Sonny Cumbie a few mir- miraculous seasons uh, and and breakout seasons for us to have a shot. I mean, look, they're not to be mean, but their fan base, a lot of their fans seem kind of defeated right now. Good. They deserve it's a, every it's a second of it. It's a lot different than the talk uh, 10 years ago. It's, I mean, a complete 180. You can't. Good. My favorite was you can't spell elite without Louisiana Tech. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we're going to Houston this weekend. We're going to try to get as many fans as we can get in the stadium. I actually called the ticket office trying to find out what kind of um, what kind of response they've had as far as ticket sales, and the, the lady told me that they've sold five thousand tickets outside of season tickets and uh, group tickets and things like that. So, don't we haven't nailed down exactly how many of those are traveling fans but we'd like to think that a lot of that is our fans i mean say what you want there's a ton of alumni in the houston area nick can speak to that there's a lot of raging cajuns in that in that area so hopefully we have a nice turnout Uh, the tailgating would absolutely be great if we can get a good a good group for that uh the alumni association did something that was pretty interesting they uh they secured a spot paid an ass load of money something like twelve thousand five hundred dollars just to set up their tent and I think that some other organization outside of the AA actually brokered the deal. I'm not 100% sure on how it went. That's the rumor. However, the end result for the fans, who we care about, we care about the fans, uh, you're now going to have to pay $50 to go to that associ- the alumni association tent. So if you have a family of four, tough luck. Um, <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work out. But the point is, is that we got to do better. I went to the Austin alumni tent i thought it was well done and i think i paid 20 or 25 dollars and i got to eat and i got drinks and it was a really well done thing there was several i mean there was i mean if i had to guess there was probably six five to six hundred people there and it was it was great out in the open really nice um i don't think that they had to pay to set up i don't know who set that up as far as who paid what i don't know i'm sure that there are going to be people that comment on this it's not a good deal we, we rail on the Alumni Association, so without having all the facts, I don't want to get too far into it. All I will say is that if I am in Houston on Saturday, I'm not paying $50 to go drink Michelob Ultras and eat a hot dog. I just won't do it. We got to do better if, with attracting our fans to, to road games. Go ahead, Nick. I'm just going to say, if you are <laughs> coming to Houston, I'd like some boudin, and uh, I'll, you I'll send you my grocery list of what I need from... Uh, from exit 97 in Scott that oh. I just need to pick up and bring to me. There's something like really cathartic about stopping at Billy's or Don's or something on the way out of town. I don't know. I just, I, <laughs> I like doing it. 
something cathartic about eating it in Houston, Texas. <laughs> it's, it's so funny because I have family still in New Orleans and they'll ask questions about that when I get back. Like, where's the boudin? Why didn't you get this? Why did you stop here and get this and get that? And it's funny because I guess for us, we, we take it for granted. You know, we, we really don't think about it because we have so many places here where we can get these kind of things. Uh, I guess that's just what makes our community unique. Nick, before we get to man, I tell you what, you live in Houston. You're you're a man of the people. I know you've gone to some events. Is there any wisdom you could give to these folks to get maybe the fringe alumni in Houston to the game? Anything that you've noticed in your time in Houston that would really resonate with those folks or anything that you can provide? Well, I'll just say, I moving here three years ago, I had no idea we had any type of Houston Raging Cajuns alliance or club or anything. I just noticed it on Facebook about a week ago. So I think, um, I think that, I think that needs to be uh, kind of cultivated by us fans who are here in Houston. And I think, I think, um, I think again, we have such a huge presence here and I look everywhere around me and, and uh, Dean Pratt's daughter is living across the street from me. I met her the other day. So some of some of you old alumni might remember Dean Pratt. His daughter lives across the street, like had no idea. So there are a lot of Raging Cajun fans here that we have the opportunity to engage with. And um, I, I just think it, it needs to be, I, I'm not sure that the university really has, I'm not going to say the tools, but I'm not sure that they're in, as engaged or willing to be engaged with people here because again, it's, it's 250, 300 miles away. So I think it's going to have to be a homegrown effort. Uh, but uh, there's so much opportunity here. And I think it starts this weekend. Um, you know, $50 is a lot for a tailgate, but I think it is shaking hands. I think having boots on the ground and representatives of the university engaging with people, talking about this and asking them, hey, should we have a view party at Little Woodrow's in, in Houston? Should we have one in Katy one weekend? Should we have a watch party somewhere at Pluckers, maybe in Cyprus? There are so many places that we could all get together. And I think that's what's missing. I, LSU has it. LSU at, at different places every weekend has something going on in the area. And it's always in a different place. Like I said, it could be in spring one day. It could be in Katy. But it gives the opportunity for people in the surrounding areas to all go to to a watch party, meet people who are like them and, and engage about the Cajuns. And I think that is the one thing that's missing here for us is that we need to get people out and engage with each other. And we, it would be nice to have a representative from the university coordinating that, but I understand if it has to be uh, a grassroots effort and I'm happy to leave that if somebody wants to give me the right direction, but, um, but yeah, it's simple and it doesn't cost a whole lot of money. And Nick, as a Houston raging Cajun alumni, was it, is that something that would appeal to you? For example, like a, a golf night, a, a top golf night when the Cajuns are playing, you'd go to that, right? You kidding me? I mean, it doesn't even have to be a top golf night. Like I said, do it at a walk-ons in Katy. Do it at Little Woodrow's downtown. Do it. There are so many places around here to do stuff. And then um, that that goes into to the different seasons. I know for for baseball, I host you know baseball parties on Saturday. Every Saturday, I have people from my neighborhood who are UL fans come over to my house. We barbecue. We socialize. We can do that on a, such a bigger scale. And it again, it doesn't have to cost a whole lot of money. Walk-ons will welcome us up. That they'll get the room for us and and let us meet and let us watch the game together. So it doesn't have to be confined to just game days. This could be something that you do throughout the year. 
I just want to, for the record, wanted to let everybody know, Rage and Review podcast with solutions. (laughs) Man, I tell you what. (laughs) Well, on that note, man, I tell you what. The streak continues. 15 straight wins, 2-0 to start the season, and 3-0, a coaching record for Coach Dez. The other night, we witnessed a tale of two halves, as people are calling it. But we also witnessed the resiliency of a team that still continues to learn about themselves while in the face of massive amounts of recent success. It is a real-time learning curve that glues us as fans to see what happens next. As we turn the page on Eastern Michigan, we look ahead to Rice, a team we will face for the first time since 1989. A team who at one time played in the old Southwest Conference with members such as Texas, Texas A&M, and Arkansas. A team that plays in a stadium that has hosted Super Bowls and also was the place where President John F. Kennedy gave his famous We Choose to Go to the Moon speech in 1962. A team who even with little recent success is still one that we cannot overlook or take for granted. But even with that, Louisiana has a chance to make some history of its own. We have a chance to extend our win streak to 16 games dating back to last season. We also have a chance to tie the series with the Rice Owls with a win and start the season 3-0 only for the second time in 34 years. But in spite of our recent success, I can't forget to mention the success of our conference. As Coach Des stated recently, it was not too long ago where teams were trying to get out. Now, we see the exact opposite. Just look at some of the early success of our new additions and what they have brought so far in these few short months of membership. You have Marshall, who pulled off one of their biggest wins to date in South Bend last weekend against Notre Dame, who was ranked 8th in the country. You have 2-0 James Madison, who as a new FBS member is second in the nation in average scoring. You have Georgia Southern, who scored 45 points in Lincoln, Nebraska, to defeat the Nebraska Cornhuskers and ending the Scott Frost era. You have Old Dominion, who just a week ago knocked off ACC contender Virginia Tech. And who can forget the deja vu when Appalachian State knocked off another top 10 opponent like Michigan in 2007, but this time against SEC powerhouse number six, Texas A&M. And of course, as mentioned earlier, the Your Louisiana Raging Cajuns continue its winning ways of having the longest current win streak in America. All in all, this wave of success that has come to this conference should give Cajun Nation a sense of pride to be a part of it. After all, it was us who held up the trophy of being the best in the Sun Belt just last year. It seems that, so far, we are on the right side of history. But there is a lot of work to be done. In the meantime... Let's enjoy the success, but also let's build on it. Go to the games, support the teams, be proud of what we have accomplished so far in the Sun Belt. Let's keep the train rolling because it only makes us better. Man, I tell you what, winning is fun, isn't it? But it's only going to get more challenging as these teams continue to get better. And that's okay because it will motivate us to work harder and get better. It will motivate us to want to keep grinding and hold up our reputation as what the standard of the Sunbelt Conference should look like as a football program. 
And by us, I mean all of us, the coaches, the players, the fans, and the administration. This is a team effort. If we all pull in the same direction, achieving the unthinkable New Year's Six Bowl may not be as far as we think. And we all look forward to it when it happens. And on that note, guys, it's been a pleasure with Man I Tell You What to Go Cajuns. Great job, Jerry. Everybody, we look forward to seeing you in Houston, Texas. Go cook some rice. If you're new to the pod, please rate, subscribe, review. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Twitch, YouTube, and all the other fun things out there. For Nick, for Jerry, we'll see you Saturday post-game.